so I always share my story that I learned to ride as an adult. And I think that helps people to identify. They know that I'm not someone who learned when they were a child and, ha and have always been doing it. They realize that, oh, she was older and she learned. Maybe I can do that too. Welcome to the Pedal Love Podcast, where we share ideas and interviews to help you improve your storytelling skills as part of a smart communication strategy. Our focus is active mobility and how improved storytelling around biking, walking, and public transit can play crucial roles for a more sustainable world. I'm Melissa Balmer, and I'm here with my co-host, Jim Brown. Today, Jim and I share three tips to help you choose the right story for your next communications piece. And we have a fun interview with a very engaging storyteller, Renee Moore, the program manager for Bike Arlington. Renee is also known on social media as the girl on a blue bike, and rightfully, the goddess of fun bike rides. To start us off, we want to talk briefly about three things to keep in mind in order to choose the right story. But before we do, I want to share how it is that Jim and I have been talking about storytelling and active mobility for about eight years. We originally connected as media relations people who both worked for the California Bicycle Coalition. And we both recognized how the phenomena like mindfulness and the slow food movement really captured the culture's imagination and led to some significant changes in attitudes and behaviors. And we wanted to see what we could learn about that to help catalyze the way we think about behavior change and transportation. I decided about six years ago to focus most of my energy on delving into the art and science of storytelling. Once I learned how our brains are wired for stories, that it's literally in our DNA, and how we use stories to make sense of the world, I was totally hooked. I wasn't quite there yet. I'm a policy wonk by heart with a deep love for facts, data, and reasoning. I just really like explaining things. To my ears, storytelling meant bedtime stories, wedding toasts, and memoirs. Even though I had long cited the experience of actual people as a way to explain or argue for policy change, I didn't think what I was doing was storytelling. And then in 2012, I was invited to give a TEDx talk on the theme of community. And so I recounted my experiences about how traveling by bike helps us care more about our community. I even started my talk by saying I was going to tell some stories. Since then, my dialogue with Melissa has continued and deepened. When we started collaborating more this year, I wanted to see if I could define storytelling in a way that made sense to a wonk like me. Here's what I came up with. Stories are narratives whose structure, details, language, and delivery cause our brains to pay attention and respond. They breathe life into abstract principles and ideas by tying them to lived experience. Storytelling is the art and science of crafting narratives that your audience can relate to and care about. So far, I feel like that definition holds up pretty well. It does. I think you really nailed it. So today we're going to start off a new year and a new decade with three questions to help you make sure you've got the right story for the job. This is really the crux of it for me. The only way to use stories to make a point effectively is to know why you're telling the story you want to tell and knowing which stories serve that purpose, whether it's for a presentation at a conference, testimony before the city council, a fundraising appeal, a media interview, or a blog post. Nearly a decade of dialogue with Melissa has really brought this into focus for me. Let's look at the three questions to ask yourself about choosing the right story. First, who is the audience? 
the right story is the right one for your audience, the story that's best suited to their understanding and needs. The story you tell during two minutes of public testimony before the city council isn't necessarily the story you need to tell to your clients or donors. When you're using a story to change hearts and minds, you need to know whose hearts and minds you want to change. That brings us to the second question. What do you want your audience to do as a result of hearing your story? The story you tell helps put a human face on an issue or need that might otherwise be abstract or technical. You're trying to take your listener beyond the facts, data, and arguments. Here's why that's so important. Hearing a story triggers the listener's brain to release hormones that heighten interest and empathy. That's the DNA part Melissa is talking about. Whether you're trying to win a vote, excite your client, or attract donations, grabbing your audience's attention and making them feel something about what you're saying are your superpowers. As an advocate for active mobility, I can't think of a more valuable set of tools. Exactly. So here's the third and final question. What is the story that delivers an aha moment? This is also known as the teachable moment. And I'm going to quote Neil Gaiman, the best-selling author of American Gods, Good Omens, and many more here. The story in which someone gets to learn better, somebody gets to change their mind, somebody gets to see the world differently, is a beautiful shape for a story. You may not have to tell the story of someone's heroic transformation. Depending on your audience and what you want them to do, that may not be possible or even necessary. And that doesn't matter. When you tell a story, you're creating a shared experience that includes your listener by triggering those hormones that makes them pay more attention and feel empathy. They actually are able to insert themselves into the story. It's the listener whose mind starts to change and who starts to see the world differently. That's the teachable moment. The best story for this particular occasion might be the story of your own transformation. But more often, it's the story of someone else's life that's been positively or negatively affected and that reflects the audience back to themselves. Maybe it's the aha moment of the city council member who was your bus expansion project's biggest critic and then became its biggest fan. A customer who bought a bike to ride occasionally to make her husband happy and now who commutes to work by bike every day. Or it could be a friend or family member who thought the climate crisis was a total myth, but is now replacing short car trips by biking, walking, and transit, and encouraging others to do the same. Which brings us to our friend Renee Moore, who uses her own story and the stories of others to help people think differently about transportation, themselves, and their community. And now, here's our interview with Renee. Hi, everyone. I want to jump right in and have you tell us the story about how you started to ride a bike. Sure, I'd love to. I learned how to ride a bike when I was 25 years old. I was at church one Sunday, and one of the guys there asked me out on a date, and he said, what would you like to do? And I said, I want to learn how to ride a bike. And he looked at me, kind of laughed. He said, oh, you're serious? And I said, yeah. So we went down to this area in Georgetown, rented a bike, and started kind of wobbling along the path in front of the Kennedy Center and the Watergate. In about an hour, I had figured out my balance as he ran behind me and turned around and came back, and I was riding by myself in under an hour. And it was exhilarating and thrilling and exciting, and I loved it. And but it took me, you know, to my mid-20s before I learned how to do it. 
That's such a fantastic story. Thank you. And so what I'm curious about, Renee, is before you started riding, what was your perception of bicycling? And do you know where that perception came from? That's a great question. I tried to learn as a kid. There was a friend of mine who had a bike, and I got on it, and I immediately lost my balance, and I ran the bike into a parked car. My grandfather saw it, and I had bloody, it was kind of a mess, and I never rode after that. So my perception was that biking was dangerous, I think, <laughs> from running into that car. But as I grew up and saw adults biking, I thought, this looks like a lot of fun, and I don't know how to do it. And it must not be that hard to learn because there's so many people doing it. So my perception was initially I'm going to get hurt or it must be dangerous, but it evolved into this is fun. This must be fun because people are doing it. So I'm curious, do you share your story about learning to ride a bike with other people? And um, what's the response you hear? I share that story all the time, <laughs> mostly because I work in the bike sphere and the transportation demand management sphere, and I do a lot of bike rides, and we teach learn to ride classes to seniors. And most of the time, especially with adults, they often think that they, too, missed that chance to learn how to ride a bike like I did. You didn't learn at five or six, and now you're 55, 66. And how in the world did I manage to not do this? So I always share my story that I learned to ride as an adult. And I think that helps people to identify. They know that I'm not someone who learned when they were a child and have always been doing it, they realize that, oh, she was older and she learned, maybe I can do that too. So that's always my goal in telling that story. And also to show that there's a, you know, there could be a trajectory to this. Like I learned how to ride a bike and then I did, I did triathlons for a while, which was insane and crazy and lots of fun. I did bike races and then I started riding in the street. And so, it, you know, there's a process and it's a progress to it as well so that people realize that this can turn into something. I mean, now I'm, I'm doing the bike program in Arlington, Virginia, which is something that never would have happened had I not learned how to ride a bike when I was an adult. When you and I first met, you weren't actually – we met online through Twitter, and you were on a girl on a blue bike with a massive meetup following that I was fascinated by. And <laughs> here we're talking about your story has the ability to open hearts and minds, and you're working on getting people to drive less. Can you share some stories about where that's really, you've really seen that your story impact people? I think it's impacted people the most with adults, of course, because they, there are people who just, bike for recreation, and they start to see that maybe I can bike for transportation, too, for shorter rides. I often tell people, because a lot of people didn't realize that I didn't ever ride in the street until about five years ago. I only did trails if I wasn't doing, like, a race. A few years ago, I went to a workshop with Black Women Bike BC, one of the members in my meetup group that I started because I was looking for people to ride with. And that's basically how I started. I was like, oh, I want people to ride with, and maybe they'll ride with me somewhere. And I started this meetup group. And the first one I started now has about 1,300 members in it. And so one of the women in that group invited me to this workshop with Black Women Bike DC. And I went, and it was about riding at night, riding in the winter, riding in the cold 
on the street. And I just thought, that's ridiculous. Why would anyone do that when you have all these beautiful trails? And, you know, you don't have to work, deal with cars. And why would you ride when it's below 70? Like, I had, I had a lot of stipulations about biking. I went to the workshop. I purposely didn't bring my bike because I had a feeling they were going like, to test all this stuff out. But they were ready for me, and they had Capital Bike Share memberships. And I thought, great, so I have to get on this bike. And so I got on the bike. I did not hate it. I actually liked it. I didn't do it again after I learned, but I really did like the fact that I could bike in regular clothes, that I could um, use it as transportation and go places I needed to get to, especially for short distances. But I didn't do it for uh, several months. Then my mom had a stroke, and she was in the hospital uh, at George Washington Hospital. And it was about eight miles from where I lived. But I drove, I drove up there, and the first time I drove, the parking was $22 a day. And I went, there's no way I'm going to spend $22 a day for my car to just sit in a garage. I said, maybe I'll try that biking thing I learned at Black Women Bike DC. And I started biking and realizing all of the stuff in the city that I was missing because I was in my car. So I, I started a second group called Bicycling in the City. I bought that blue bike that I have. Her name was Olivia. I don't have her anymore. I miss her. But, <laughs> but I started riding that bike up to visit my mom. And it was therapeutic. It was a great way to see the city. And so I started another group called Bicycling in the City just so that I could get other people to get out and see. This is what it's like to go someplace by bike. So my whole goal in that group is to find a venue or an event or a festival, something that's going on in the city, and then take them to that. So it's really not about the bike ride. It's about the event, but we get there by bike. So um, in Arlington, I've done, I worked in D.C. for four, three or four years for Washington Bicycles Association, now with Bike Arlington, and I did rides like bike and kayak, or we would go to the movies. We've done stand-up paddleboarding. Uh, just today I'm doing a Today I had a ride, and it's called the Bike Book Club. So I get people who like to read. We, we pick a book. We ride to the library. So I'm trying to get people who don't normally ride to ride a bike to do something that they like to do as opposed to people who already bike just go on another bike ride. That's wonderful. I would want to go on the, the books and biking uh, ride. Me too. Me too. So, Renee, since you've been sharing your own story about uh, getting on a bike and then that evolution towards finally riding your bike for transportation. Have you heard a uh, story similar to yours? I've heard a few, not a lot because most of the people I know did learn to ride bikes as learn to ride a bike as a child. But I have heard people who don't ride a lot in the street who ride with me on an event that I planned and they say to themselves, you know, I didn't realize this was that close to me or that this is a route that I could take. I might try this with the kids or I might do this on a date next time. Or And I always try to show up in regular clothes. That's my thing. I want bicycling to look accessible. So I don't, I don't, I try very hard not to bike in bike clothes because we're not going that far for one thing. All of my rides are under 10 miles. Most of them are under six to be quite honest with <laughs> So I want to put on regular clothes, and I want people to see me and say, you know what, she just has on a dress and sandals or a dress and boots. Or, and I always just stop people talk to me, but I want people to see that and then decide that, you know what, I probably don't need to be in my SUV to go to this restaurant. I could probably get on my bike and do it. 
So I do hear stories like that from people that would would normally not bike somewhere that start to do it because I've shown them it's doable. Yeah, so talk more a little bit more about that, about biking in regular clothes and how organizations like Bike Ireland maybe stuff that you're already working on, and other advocacy organizations can identify those stories about real people um, riding in regular clothes and how they can share them on uh, broader platforms to attract new audiences. That's a great question. I just like dresses. I just have a thing for that. And, so, <laughs> and my bike is very girly and pretty. It's, got, it's white. It's got white red flowers all over it. The saddlebags are red. And it's, just, it's just a girly bike. Her name is Calypso. That's the, my new bike. I like to I like to just ride like that because I, because I think the perception when someone thinks bicyclist, they think of someone who has a lot of spandex and lycra and they've got, you know, the kit on, the matching jersey and, and bike pants and got the shoes that clip into the pedals and they're hunched over the bike. And there is definitely a place for that. I, it's off, and I did it. So I know there's a place for that. But I think when we're trying to do work with people who we want to switch from taking a two-mile car drive to taking a two-mile bike ride, that we have to make that look accessible to people. We have to show people that this is doable and you don't have to buy $200 worth of spandex and $200 clip-in pedals and shoes to make this something that that you can go out and do, that you can wear the clothes in your closet. And I think if we just – if we, there's so many people that are doing it. I see them all the time. There are people who jump on a capital bike share because they're going from the – subway station to their job, or they're going from their job to pick up something to eat for lunch. And those are the people that we probably, you know, they're, they're busy and they're en route to something. But those are the people I think we need to get those stories from and say, hey, you know, I saw that you just jumped on this bike and you just jumped on this electric jump bike. Why did you choose to do that instead of walking or taking an Uber or driving your car and finding out why they choose to travel the way they do and hearing hearing that come from them so that people see that and say, oh, I never thought about just taking a bike to go from the subway to pick up my lunch and then coming back to work like that because I probably would have gotten in my car. (laughs) Or I never thought about going on a date and taking my bike because we're only going, you know, three miles. Like maybe my date would want to hop on a bike and do that. But I think if we don't show that and present it and through video, on social media, through a blog post, through just talking to people. If we never collect that, we never real. I don't think people realize that those are ways that you can get around, especially a densely packed city like Arlington, a densely packed county like Arlington, then they won't ever think to do it. So we do need to talk to those people and, you know, maybe stop them midstream, maybe it's surveys to the to the members of Capital Bike Share, it could be just asking people on social media, like, hey, tell me your story about how you bike or why you bike, and finding that out and then hearing them talk about it. One of the things uh, I did at Washington Bicycles Association and at Bike Arlington was I did a sign-up one time, two signs. One of them said, I like to bike, and I just wanted to hear why people like to bike. Um, or it said, I, I'm sorry, it said, I bike because. I just wanted to hear why people bike. People tell me all kinds of things. It's cheaper than driving. It's easy to get around. It's the time I spend with my kids. 
And then the other sign said, I'd like to bike butt. And I did that sign because what I was hearing from advocates is that people would bike if they were more bike lanes, more protected bike lanes. And I just didn't fully believe that. I thought there were a lot of other reasons. They were making that the number one reason. And I said, I just want to see, is that really why people aren't biking or are there other reasons why people aren't biking? So I would, put, I would take the sign to festivals and expos, and people would just take a sticky post-it note and the Sharpie marker, write whatever, and then put it on there. And what I was seeing is that a lot of people didn't know how to ride a bike. Yeah, there were a lot of people that so that was a chance to say, we have bike classes. The other one was that people were saying they live too far. So that was a chance to talk about multimodal. Like, hey, you don't have to ride all the way to someplace. You could take Metro and then take a bike. I think finding that information out helps us to really gather a story, but also to talk about what we do in a more meaningful way to people. I, I love that because that's that's exactly the idea of telling a story for a purpose. Since you've been telling your own story, what have you learned about how to st- tell a story more effectively? You know, what would be your advice to somebody else learning to tell their story? What is your story that you think would be relevant to tell? And then how can you make it short and interesting enough that the person listening to the story will gather what they need? So you maybe just have one point, one takeaway point. It's not a long, drawn-out story, but it's, you know, I started doing this and this happened and then this is why I'm here. Especially, I think, for those of us in biking and walking and um, scooter, you know, whatever, all the multimodal types of things that we do and any of those advocacies, I think we need to start embracing that and saying, why did you start getting on a scooter? And people will tell you, you know, I saw it on the street and I thought it was kind of cool and I started riding and now I ditched my car I just scoot everywhere. Like, that's a great, like, that's a story that people should be telling. You know, why did you start walking? You know, I started walking places because, you know, I moved into the city. My Parking my car in my condo was $400 a month. I said, I'm not doing that, plus the insurance, plus the gas, plus the maintenance. I only live, you know, I only work a mile away from work. I'll just walk to work. Like, those are the things we're not hearing from people, and I think that's the kind of stories we need to tell because there's always a reason why somebody went from driving to whatever mode they're taking now. Because if a lot of people don't see that demonstrated and illustrated and spelled out for them, they're not even going to consider it because we have such a car culture, right? As we wrap up today, are there any things you want to tell us in closing? And also, how do you want people to find out more about you? What websites and social media should they be following to learn more about Renee? Everybody has a story. So tell your story about how you started, if you, you know, if you're in biking, if you're in walking, if you're using a scooter to get around, if you are um, taking transit. I think tell your, tell your story about how that occurred and let people know, like, this is what I do. Talk about what makes it practical for you, too. I think that's the other thing is that sometimes people think, oh, it's so much easier to drive. But so many people hate their commute but they also haven't thought about how would they commute a different way. And so sharing with people how you transition and how you plan for it I think is also important. You know, if you're someone who bikes and it rains, like, do you have a contingency plan? Like, okay, it's raining. I don't do rain. 
so I'm going to take the subway, or that's the day I drive. And it's okay. I like people to feel okay with the mode they're taking. Do not beat yourself up because you drove three days that week because it was a monsoon. Like, don't bike in that. <laughs> so I like to tell people that. I don't bike in the snow. I am not ashamed of it. I will get in my car, and I'm okay with that. So I, I want people to feel okay with the choices they're making, but also to have that contingency plan of, like, of saying, I may do something different if the weather is awful in my book. So I think that's important to also share that with people. Like, what do you need? You might need, you know, saddlebags. You need a helmet. You need lights because it's dark now. It's getting dark earlier. Walking, helping them walk them through that process so that they can make a better decision about what they need to go from car to biking, if that's what they want to do. I'll give you two Twitter handles that I have. My personal one is Girl on Blue Bike. Even though my bike is no longer blue, but it, it was popular, so no one wanted me to change it. <laughs> so I'm just girl on the bike. And I am uh, at Bike Arlington on Twitter. So um, I'm far more interesting at Bike Arlington <laughs> than Bike Arlington Twitter. I'm also on Instagram at the girl on blue bike there. I guess, yeah, that's it. And I'm Bike Arlington everywhere. I'm Bike Arlington on Twitter, Facebook, and um, Instagram. Fantastic, Renee. Thank you so much. Final thoughts, Jim? I love hearing these stories. I love hearing about all the good work that you're doing, Renee. I'm super impressed with the numbers of people you're touching, and it's just really inspiring to to learn more about that. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. I'm having a great time doing it, and it's always, always just fun to have people come out and join you on a ride you know, to go eat pizza or, you know, eat pie, <laughs> whatever we're doing. It's always fun to have people come out and do that and, and learn something new. You can learn more about Pedal Love's tools, trainings, and interviews at pedallove.org.